the origin of the the idea of a rabbi is biblical. We find that Moshe Rabbeinu conferred smicha, which is basically a, a an ordination conferring upon the beneficiary the confidence of the master, the teacher, that his grasp of the Torah is adequate for the application throughout existence, throughout experience. It's, it's a very broad ordination, true smicha, because the Torah is the guidebook to life. And if somebody is fluent thoroughly and deeply with that guide, then they will be equipped to apply legitimately the practice of, of what should be in any given situation, the directive of the Torah. So true smicha is, is a, a massive feat to actually have fluency throughout all branches of Torah, all, all the various facets of the Torah. And the Torah is, if you will, an organism in the sense that it's a whole and the ability on a, on a very deep level to gain a clearer grasp of that, of that whole can be even achieved from a different area of Torah. So we, we find remarkably that in spite of the loss through forgetfulness of certain facets of the Torah, if one is endowed adequately with the, the grasp of Torah in other areas, they can legitimately reconstruct the missing components. This, this is pretty theoretical, but just understanding how the Torah works, this is clear in the Talmud and Tumura. So we do not have that type of smicha. The type of smicha that was passed on from Moshe to the elders and his students and and so forth through the generations, that basically ceased uh, in, the, in the time of the Roman era, uh, post the destruction. Uh, it, it certainly continued for hundreds of years, but that really put a tremendous pressure, uh, not only directly against smicha, because they viewed it, the Romans viewed it as a threat, but also in a in an indirect sense, the oppression did not afford many people the opportunity to achieve the fluency and the heights of the, the grasp of Torah necessary to legitimately receive smicha. So there, there were multiple pressures, and ultimately it did fade out. So we do not have smicha, so the, the actual true smicha is not currently a feature of, of Jewish life, unfortunately. We find many places in the Talmud discussions about various questions, and 
the resolution that is proposed of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, coming to restore a certain facet of knowledge is, is actually a unique idea because prophetically we're not actually entitled to restore something that was lost. Once it was given to the Jewish people at Sinai, so, these are the matters, the Torah, cannot be resuscitated to our consciousness through a new revelation. That is not a legitimate possibility. It has been taken from heaven to earth. It has been given over to us. Either we must reconstruct from the Torah that we have, which at a very high level is possible and has been accomplished. The other possibility is through a Meseris, through a tradition, an unbroken tradition from Moshe. And fortunately for us, Eliyahu Hanavi is a Musmach, Pinchas. He is one of the disciples of Moshe Rabbeinu. And as a, as a man who is alive, he can tell us the Meseris. He can tell us something that he received, even if we forgot it, he can't tell it to us as a prophet. He is Elijah the prophet, but he can't tell it to us as a prophet. But he can tell it to us as the disciple that received the Torah from Moshe. So, so often you'll find an unresolved question, teku, tishbi, that the anticipation to, that the Elijah the prophet will come to uh, clarify any difficulties or questions that are obscure to, to the authors of the Talmud. So, there was, just to, to mention, a possible revival of smicha. We do have, in the wake of the Spanish Inquisition, a push by Marie Berav, the, the Rebbe of the Shulchan Aruch of Beis Yosef, to reinstitute smicha. And the push was based on a, an opinion of the Rambam, where he suggests that it is possible to reconstitute smicha, this true uh, authorization by the greatest sages of the generation, that they can confer smicha. There is that possibility, according to the Rambam. Others disagree, and it was a hotly contested point. And that smicha too, within a few generations, was not continued, at least to the best of my knowledge. So, today, we don't have anybody that is alive that has smicha, to the best of my knowledge, besides Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet. So when we talk about somebody today who's a rabbi, typically what that confers or describes is somebody that has achieved some degree of mastery within some facet of Torah. And Rav Zaman Chemia would give uh, the gmach smicha, as it was sometimes called, gmach meaning gemilas chasadim, the the charity smicha. So, 
a guy is sitting in yeshiva and he wants it, his, uh, his family is interested in him having some type of certificate, so he needs a paper. So Rav Zalman would oftentimes service people, it's a tremendous Talmud Chacham, and he would service people and give them smicha. And that, that can be helpful with some type of official documentation that they have successfully shown a degree of mastery within. He would often give in Kitzur Shulchan Aruch or Shulchan Aruch, whatever you wanted, he could service you. But he, he often gave a, a gemach smicha. A, a friend of mine says that, that in his experience with the Zaman Nechemya, so they went back and forth for hours and hours. And he asked him, he said, you know, I have a lot of friends that have, have come to you for smicha, and usually it's a very short, brief affair, and kind of almost a, a formality, if you will. And I see that you're, uh, you're grilling me. <laughs> so... The Rizam al said to him, I, I see that you have a, a, a deep interest in halacha, so I want to make sure that you, you really have a solid grounding in it. Meaning if it's, if it's not a gemach smich, if it's not just a, a piece of paper, a certificate that will help you with your, you, you know, just having some, something. So then, you know, you have to have uh, a greater probing in, in terms of the getting a smicha. I've heard that from others, that similar ideas, not, not just by Rizal Nechemia, but by other, other Abanim who have given smicha, that depending on who they're giving smicha to and what the matara is, what the purpose of that smicha is, the test can vary dramatically. But we don't actually have the true smicha nowadays, and not everybody who has fluency within the Torah necessarily has made it their, their interest to get smicha. Notably, the Chafetz Chaim, a very famous, famous scholar in the Jewish world, famous tzaddik. Chafetz Chaim did not bother getting smicha, getting a, an official documentation, until... He was much older. In the older years, there was some requisite to present the Jewish people as a rabbi to the Polish government. He needed to get smicha. So at that point, he bothered himself to get a smicha. But other than that, he, he did not consider it of any value for himself. And the question is, what is the value of this smicha if it's not a real smicha? So this is a question that is addressed by the Rivash, the major poskim. We have his responsa. And he describes the value of smicha as follows. This is in his responsa 271, Reishayin Aleph. The reason that Marie Berav wanted to reinstitute smicha is because in the wake of the Spanish Inquisition, many people 
unfortunately had succumbed to the temptation and converted to Christianity and later when they were able to escape wanted to atone and particularly for violations that in entailed kares, spiritual excision if one can receive lashes instead of uh, just being left on an as-is basis so that would be preferable so there, there was an interest in, among people to reinstitute an actual court that could administer lashes to expunge the, the sins that, that came together with apostasy. And that, that was the, one of the, the drives behind it. Like I said, it was contested. And, and although Marie Birab did give smicha to four Talmidim, including the Beis Yosef, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, it didn't get much further than that. I think Rukhan Vital received smicha, but not, it did not continue uh, because it was controversial. It, it was not, uh, at least that was part of it. And perhaps also that just the, the sheer breadth of knowledge necessary is not something that most people uh, can, can get necessarily, even without any type of pressure or controversy. The, the tar itself is, is gargantuan. So the Rivash is describing fake smicha, if you will. Fake smicha. What is it about? What's the, what's the point? Not the real smicha of Moshe Rabbeinu. So he says, What would it appear to be after he's rejected other possibilities? The legitimate interpretation, or a legitimate interpretation, of this smicha, this ordination, if a student who, who has legitimately gained the fluency within Torah to issue a ruling, he is actually an expert in Torah, nonetheless, he's not allowed to issue a ruling anywhere in the world. Unless he has taken permission from his Rebbe. So his Rebbe, if he has not given him permission to give a hurrah, to give a ruling, when I say a ruling, I mean a novel ruling, something that is, is, is an actual uh, fulfillment of what the Torah says in a, a new situation that is not clear and obvious from pre-existing uh, case law, if you will. So, to just say, to say, hey, I, I have a source for you, in this case, this is the halacha, that does not require permission from a Rebbe, but to give a novel hurrah, even if he has come to hurrah, if he has not come to hurrah, he, he should not give a hurrah. If he's not actually steeped in the, the, the depth of Torah necessary to issue a hurrah, he absolutely should not. If he does, he's a rasha, he's wicked, he's foolish, he's, he's haughty, terrible things. A person should not give hurrah if he's not higiyah if he's not capable of legitimately reaching the, the conclusion of what the Torah requires in, in any given situ situation. It, it's, if he's grasping where he shouldn't be, that's a separate problem. 
But even when he is legitimately conveying what the Torah wants in a certain situation, let his Rebbe give the Hora. If his, if his Rebbe gives Roshus, then he can give Hora. If his teacher, his master, can says, I allow you to give the, the halachic exposition of what the Torah says in, in any given situation, that is fine. But without that, so he should defer to his master. He's basing this on the Gemara. If he's actually well-versed enough and steeped enough in the Torah that he can give a true hurrah, a legitimate application of the law in a new scenario, then why does he need permission? The Gemara answers, it was necessary for a certain case that happened. Once, uh, Rebbe went to a certain place. He saw people that were preparing their dough in a state of ritual impurity, etc. There was a, a bit of a fiasco. You did have a situation when a student gave a halachic ruling that was incorrect and he had not achieved the mastery necessary to make the correct ruling. So this was a decree meant to avoid such problems in the future. And the decree was, don't issue halachic rulings unless you've taken permission from your master. Even at a distance. Rabbi Barbachana was in Bavel, Babylonia, and the and the permission was granted by Rebbe in, in the land of Israel. So, so, it's important to, to put together the framework here. If a person has a Rebbe Muvak, which is a terminology that he's introducing here, it means a primary guide, teacher, master that has raised him in the Torah, then he has this restriction. If he has a Rebbe Muvak, he cannot give a Hora without his Rebbe's permission. That was a decree to weed out, hope, hopefully to weed out those that are not qualified from issuing hara'os, from giving over rulings that they're not qualified to give. The, the issue of Rebbe Muvak is mildly controversial. Some opinions are that Rebbe Muvak is not common today. Chayodam, Chachma Sodom is of the opinion that today it's uncommon to have a Rebbe Muvak because most of what we learn is from Sfarim, from books. So that's his opinion. And he's, he's coming from earlier sources, Maram. There, there are such, uh, such opinions. I would venture that that's not the simple reading of Shulchan Aruch or the Ramah. They don't say anything about learning from books being a, a hindrance to having a Rebbe Muvak, having a, a, 
a primary teacher. So that's uh, not so posh at all. I know my Rebbe, Rav Michal Shirkin, he, he considers Rav Yashaber his Rebbe Muvak. And uh, certainly he's learned plenty from books. There's no question about that. So if someone has a Rebbe Muvak, their primary mentor guide, you can learn a lot of things from books. You can see a lot of, a lot of controversy, but to actually be able to, to get through it in a manner that is in line with the Meseris, with the tradition, you need to have a connection to a living tradition. And, and, and you know, Rav Shirkin is a Talmud of Rav Moshe, a Talmud of Rav Yashaber, a Talmud of Rav Moshe Shmuel Shapiro, a Talmud of Rav Leib Malin. He, he gained incredibly the, the, the connection to the, the, the roots of the Torah. He was deeply connected to the, the Chachmi Hamaseris, to, to the ones who possess the, the living Torah, if you will. So, the, the question of if there are Rebbe Muvak today or not is, like I said, mildly controversial, but that at least is my Maseris, is that you do have a Rebbe Muvak today. And that being the case, so he says, the Rivosh is speaking out, that to issue a ruling, one needs to have permission. And that was from their Rebbe Muvak, and, and that does not, uh, that's not dependent on distance, meaning even if they're not in close proximity, so still that permission needs to be granted. Uh, the Ramam does say that the requirement to, to not issue a ruling without Permission is in the lifetime of one's master, one's Rebbe. If that, that is not the case, so, so then, if they are if they are intrinsically capable of reaching the, the truth of a legitimate psaq within Torah, then they may do so, but just because one's teacher has passed on does not automatically give them permission to give a hurrah. If they, if they were not Higiyah they can't give a hurrah anyway. If they're not on that caliber of scholarship, then they're not capable, that they cannot give a hurrah, uh, irrespective of their mentor, their, their Rebbe passing on or, or giving permission. If they're not able to, they're not able to. The, uh, sometimes you'll find, even in Shuvas, you'll, you'll find a Nusach, it's not within my power to be lenient. And the, the idea that, that uh, there, a greater level of scholarship might find a, a way to give permission, but not necessarily is it within their hands. The Ramah writes in Yoradea Reish Membez, the laws of Kavod Rabbo V'Talmud Chacham, Vim Hayat Talmud. So the Ramah describing what is Rabba Muvak who is this primary teacher in Simon Reish Membez Nyardea, Sif Lamed, paragraph 30, 242, section 30. And these days, Ikra Harabanos, 
Eino talui bimi shalamdu hapilpul. It's not dependent on the one who has taught somebody. Pilpul is a certain sharpness of reasoning, which has its roots in the Talmud. It's been often disparaged, particularly in later generations, as not being authentic legitimately. It's a legitimate point. We find in the Talmud that certain, maybe you would say, uh, logical connections that, that are less than fully sound can achieve results that are certainly false. Certainly false. So that's, that's an idea you'll find uh, various ways to purify a rodent, so to speak, to say that it's not going to transmit impurity when obviously it does. So it's, it's a methodology that, that can increase sharpness and, and you can pull it apart to see the errors, but it's not actually conveying the Torah. It's, it's sharpness and it, it's, a, it, it's kind of like a spice, if you will, pill pull, but it is not the, the bread and butter of what a Rebbe is about, and Rabbi Muvak is not the one who teaches pill pull. Rak b'mi shalomdo pshat ha'halacha. Who is Rabbi Muvak? The one who has conveyed the pshat ha'halacha, the, the straightforward interpretation of the law, ve'ayun, and the depth of the law, and of analysis, ve'amido ala emes, and who has stood him up on the truth. Rebbe is somebody who stands you up on the truth, ve'ayosher on the straight path. That's the Ramon, the name of Marik. So that, that is the Haggadorah, according to the Ramah, of Rabbi Muvak. And there's somebody who's not Rabbi Muvak. person, Perkyavos, advocates learning from everybody. And certainly there, there are many people that a person can excel and learn from in Torah as well. Chachma of, of various forms of wisdom, and particularly in Torah. And, and that has a certain threshold of of honor that needs to be accorded to that person, but it is not the same as Rabbi Muvak, as his, as his primary Rebbe. The, the terminology Rebbe we've mentioned in the past, it, it means one who raises, to, to bring to growth. The Radak says, pru urivu, be fruitful and multiply is how it's typically translated. The Radak explains that pru obviously means to be fruitful, that's but to multiply is kind of the same as to be fruitful. At the face of it, uh, some interpret it to mean that it means to multiply in, in a manner that is not just replacement value, but to proliferate. But the word uravu means, Lashon Rav, to, to make grow. And that's what the Radak says. So the two obligations are to have children and to raise children. That's pru uravu. And we see in the Talmud that one who raises another's biological child, they too become a parent to a degree. And as well we find in the Talmud, one who is a Rebbe is like a parent to their student. They raise that student. So much so that 
many of the halachot, many of the, the methodologies that we accord honor to a parent are identical to what we, what we do to honor our Rebbe, and even more so. In many regards, you actually find that there's an obligation that is even greater. The, the Talmud, Bab Metziel, and Gimel says, and the Rambam codifies it in, in the laws of honoring, uh, of the laws of Terah, Hilchos Talmud Terah, Perik Chamishi, chapter 5, the first paragraph, just as a man is commanded concerning the honor of his father and the awe of his parents, right, father and mother, similarly is he commanded concerning the honor of his teacher, his, his master, his mentor, and the honor, the, the, the awe of that person who's his Rebbe. And his father more so, I'm sorry, his Rebbe more so than his father. What's the rationale for that? His father has brought him into this world, father and mother. And his Rebbe who has raised him, brought him to wisdom, has given him the guidance to the life of the world to come, to the eternal existence to the fulfillment as a human being, that's a, 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 an element of gratitude and that, that is of even a higher accord. So that, that has practical ramifications. You find a lost object of both your father and your Rebbe at the same time. So there's a Din Kadimo. There's a, a who do you take care of first in such a case? Rabo Kodemes Aviv. Give return the lost object of your your teacher, your, your mentor, your master, before your father. So that, that's an example. And there, there are a number of elements of this that are equal. Like, for example, just to take Halacha He. In, in, in section 5, he says, so chapter 5, section 5, also Talmud, Likros Bishma. It's prohibited for the student to call his Rebbe by his name. Even not in his presence. So he says uh, the general restrictions, particularly the Ramam says if it's an unusual name, that, that's more severe. This applies equally to a student and to a child that one is not allowed, allowed to call their parents by their name. And we do find in the Talmud that Rabbi Chalafta, Rabbi Yossi Bar Chalafta, called his father Abba Chalafta. So it is permitted to say, my father so-and-so. If it's being pre preceded by a title of father, that is not considered an affront to, to the honor that one must accord to a parent. So, Abba Chalafta, or you could say, uh, you know, uh, Rav or Rebbe, something like that as a introduction, but to call by the first name is considered too chummy. It's not, it's not appropriate for a Talmud to a Rebbe or for a child to a parent. To, to look on the other element of this, there's actually a halacha by a king 
a king is not allowed publicly to address people other than by their name. So the king, there's an obligation to have fear for the king, to have awe of the king, so the king cannot address others in a public context with an appellation that confers a sense of reverence because there's an obligation, at least in a public setting, to, to fear the king. So, to have reverence for the king. So that, that would be the, the converse. He, he specifically needs to call even a great sage by his first name in a public setting. So, getting back to the Rivash over here. The Rivash is trying to explain why we have this fake smicha, fake rabbinic degree, if you will, if it doesn't actually confer the authority of a true smicha. So he starts off with bringing in that the, there's a generic rabbinic prohibition to issue a real ruling, not within the same geographic location as the, the master, the teacher. And the giving of permission would uh, undo that prohibition. So if, if the master said, yes, you are qualified, you can give a horah, you can give a halachic ruling, uh, exposition of Torah law in a novel situation, you, he gives that vote of confidence, so that would be adequate uh, to, for this person to give a hurrah, even, um, even when his Rebbe is alive. And that which is taught in a b'risa, that a student should not issue a halachic ruling within three parsos, in this geographic area, I don't know, approximately 12 miles of his master. It sounds like if he's further distance from that, that it would be permitted. Now, parenthetically, there's an important question that really only arises in the more modern era, that what is the determination of Sholosh Parsos? What does it mean to be geographically distant? Is the idea that in order to get an answer, you have to go through a lot of traveling? So beyond that point, it's not considered problematic because it's too far away. Or is it, is it a matter of, of something else? It's, it's a matter of a certain proximity that, that is not necessarily connected to the, the level of difficulty of approaching the, the master of halacha, the, the teacher, for his opinion. And in the modern era, when you can pick up the phone and call somebody and immediately get an answer potentially, assuming that's the case, they may be much more than 12 miles away, is, is that halachically considered within Shalosh Parsos or not? That's, that's an important question. So that halacha is talking about before this rabbinic decree, that's the Rivosh's answer. But after this decree to try and prevent unqualified aspiring scholars from issuing rulings when they're not capable of it, so after the decree, it was prohibited even beyond the, the geographical distance of four parcels about, I'm sorry, three parcels about 12 miles. Tosa says, no, even after the decree, this halacha is applicable, what is taught in the b'risa, 
the Mishnahic era is still relevant. He says there are various stages of relationships, and Talmud Chaver is a status that means kind of in between. It's a student who's also a friend. So that they're, they're, it's a student-colleague relationship. Student-colleague relationship, says Tosfus, is this type of setup, where within the, the Shalosh Parsos, within the 12-mile radius, you have a problem. The student-colleague should not issue a ruling on a novel facet of Torah. Whereas beyond that point, it would be permitted. That's Tosfus. Talmud Muvak, but a student in the full sense that, that he's not a colleague, but he derived most of his grasp of Torah and his adrocha, his, his guidance through standing on the truth from this person. So Talmud Muvak, even outside of this geographic area, there would be a prohibition. But nonetheless, it's not chayv misa, not liable to death. Right? It's not, it's not the severity of, of the, the chutzpah, of giving a harab with nerabo, once it's separated by shalosh parsos. Right? I remember Rav Shirkin said about Rav Yashaber that he one time gave a... Uh, he, he, they were by a Kriya Satara. There was a public Torah reading. And the Balkari, the one who was reading the Torah, made an error, a flagrant error, an error that invalidated the reading. And he wanted to correct. But he held himself back. He, he held his tongue. He said, I'm in front of my Rebbe. My Rebbe Muvak, if I correct in this context, so I'm mura hora bifnei rabbi, I'm giving a halachic ruling that he must go back, the reader of the Torah must go back, and to do so in front of my rabbi, I'd be chayv misa. I'm trying to do kriya Torah, I don't want to get chayv misa over here. I don't want to be liable to death for this. So he didn't say anything. After the Torah reading, he asked his rabbi, if somebody made such an error, what is the halacha? So Yashaber said, the, the Torah reading was not good. They have to do it again. It's not, it, was not, it was not a valid reading. He said, that's what happened. That's what happened today in the Torah reading. So he said, oh, he was busy thinking about the Rashba and he didn't notice it. But uh, the requirement of Torah reading, by the way, uh, requires a minion of following, but others don't necessarily have to be following along. That's uh, not necessarily to imply that Rav Yashiro is doing anything incorrect. That he didn't catch the mistake. But nonetheless, he said the halacha is that it was not a good Torah reading, it was not adequate. So Rav Shirkin said, Should we get together a minion to do it again? Because we weren't Yodse then. He said, No, it's a chiv on the tzibur, it's an obligation for the congregation, and they've already dispersed, it's already too late, and there's no obligation for us to, as individuals, to pursue this. But in any event, the idea is that a Talmud Muvak. Is chayv misa is is liable to the death penalty if it's within close proximity that he issues a ruling, in a, in the close proximity of his rebbe muvak, his primary master. Pirush betosus. What is called bifanov, is three parsos. It's about twelve miles, and that by the way reflects the size of the encampment of the Jewish nation in the desert. So nobody was further, if you will, from Moshe at the center, basically even if they're in the outskirts of the Jewish encampment in the desert, so that much distance was something that was called within the proximity of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says, 
I've got another possible theory about modern smicha. The Rifon of Mamish Chayv Misa, that in the Rebbe's presence directly, the Talmud, Muvak, is liable to death. If he issues this ruling, a novel halacha. And within this 12-mile radius, it's prohibited, according to the strict letter of the law. But it's just a prohibition. does not have the weight of a liability to death. When we say liability to death, we don't mean in a court of law, but we mean just to clarify. There's no uh, court-mandated punishment here. Parsaos. And this opinion gives a more lenient approach. It says if you're not in the immediate proximity of your Rebbe, you're more than, let's say, 12 miles away. So you are allowed to answer a halachic question occasionally. So the Rivosh is saying more leniently that if somebody asks in a casual setting, Occasionally, that is not a problem. So if he is qualified to issue a halachic ruling, and it is on an ad hoc basis, that's okay. As long as you're not within the close proximity of your Rebbe, then it's permitted. And that is the exposition of the Brisa. So not the first way he said that the permission, the implicit permission to give a ruling after that um, distance of about 12 miles is only before the rabbinic restriction. He says, no, it's, it's even permitted nowadays. Not only like the, the next way he interprets it, that it's permitted nowadays for a Talmud chaver, for, for a student colleague, but he says even for a full student Talmud Muvak, the prohibition is specifically in a case where he's kavua lehora. He's setting up a, a house of, of uh, a bezdin. He's setting up a court. If he's setting up a court to issue rulings, he needs permission from his Rebbe. Even outside of the, the distance of, of the 12-mile area, radius. But on an occasional basis... Not, not set up, that this is what he's doing. So somebody asks him a question, he can answer even if it's novel. That's this most lenient interpretation. To sit and issue rulings, that he's, he's at large, he's got his shingle out there, he is giving horos, that is aser. Even if he's in the end of the world, he could be in Portland, Oregon. Doesn't matter how far away he is. It's also to be koveya atzma lehora. At shiomus rabo, unless his rebbe dies. Elimke not rishus rabo, unless he took permission from his rebbe to do so. To be koveya atzma, to establish himself for a base hora, a house of issuing halachic rulings. To, to be set up for that, as opposed to just occasionally people can ask him questions. Ubechiyah gavno, hu digazr meshum de ikal mechash, shemayitu hamon ha'am bedvarov. So that the case of that Gemara was talking about somebody who set himself up 
to issue halachic rulings for the larger congregation. And that's where there is a rabbinic restriction. Don't do that without permission from your Rebbe, your Rebbe Muvak, your primary guide, because the, this mistake, people weren't making mistakes, they weren't yet really at the level to issue such rulings, and they were issuing them anyway and, and uh, leading people astray to a degree by, by these false rulings. So the, the rabbinic decree to avoid that was to require that the Rebbe sign off, so to speak. Yes, I'll give him smicha that he is qualified. And, and I am uh, allowing him to set himself up on a permanent basis, on a regular basis, to be ready to give directions uh, in, within novel facets of Torah to the broader community. On an occasional basis, it's not a problem. He's, he's working through the Gemara and explaining how the Gemara will work through this third interpretation. So, let's just skip a paragraph because we're not working through the Gemaras now. And now he, he gets back to modern smicha. According to this position, one can present the smicha that was proliferating within the countries of France and Germany, we're talking about this circumstance where the student has grown to the, the level that they are adequate to the task of giving a hurrah, of giving novel exposition of Torah law that is not found in precedent. And the strict level of the law is that beyond three parasa, beyond the 12 miles, it is permitted. And not only that, he's actually obligated to give the halachic ruling. Right? If somebody is capable to give the hara, so in the case where he should, he, he's obligated to. Based on the interpretation of this verse of King Solomon, Mighty are all those who are vanquished by her. It means those that have reached the level of, of fluency within the Torah to issue a horah, a, a novel ruling and guidance of practical halacha, and yet hold themselves back from doing so. So they are mighty, but they have been vanquished, that they, they do not issue a ruling when they should. He is at that level, but does not yet issue rulings. But because of the rabbinic decree to prevent the proliferation of students that are not yet at that level, they said, you want to give a hurrah? You even are obligated to give a hurrah? You, you need to get permission from your Rebbe Muvak to do so. Or if his Rebbe gives him permission to establish a yeshiva to, to give Horah for anyone who comes to ask, to give halachic rulings for anyone coming to ask. And this that he calls him Rav, so Rav is, is this 
terminology, like we said, to, to raise up, to, to develop, to bring somebody to wisdom, to, to prepare them, to, to have the tools that they can enter into Chai Olam the eternal life. So it's not that he's, that the, the Rebbe is saying he is, is my Rav, but he's saying he is fit to be a Rav. He is fit. He's, it's not that he's no longer a student, but that he is fit to, to be a Rebbe to others in, in anywhere and to be called Rav. If it's not for this context, I see no reason at all for this, for the purpose to, to, to generate this fake smicha. If it's not for this, I see no purpose. So Rivar says, you have various variations on a theme, exactly what the parameters are, but basically smicha is working on Talmud Shegil at what context he is given permission to give such a harah, but clearly, according to the Rivash, if you get a gemach smicha, not from your primary Rebbe, so it's worthless, right? He's saying there's no purpose of it. If you, if you need the smicha to give a permission, to give a harah, and you get that smicha from somebody who's not your Rebbe Muvak, so what did you get? Nothing. So that, that's, that's clear. The technical terminology of Rav, as described in the Rivash, is, as it's used largely today, somebody that is competent to, to issue halachic ruling or guidance. And that's, that's something that, uh, you know, is not necessarily equivalent to the term rabbi, Rav Moshe Feinstein used the term rabbi generically for anybody that was in a leadership role of a congregation. He, he did not view that as, as being uh, vested with uh, a sense of authority for halachic rulings uh, with the title rabbi. So rabbi is, is an honorific that indicates communal leadership, even spiritual leadership, but not necessarily of the caliber to issue a halachic ruling. A person can know a lot of sources and give a lot of guidance without necessarily having to issue a novel ruling. So that's the, the term rabbi is, is generally of a, a, of a different angle on Jewish leadership than rav. The b'raisa in Perkeavos Perak Shishi, the, the Brisa, uh, chapter 6, paragraph 3, it says as follows, Halomid mechaveru perak echad. If one learns from his friend, one chapter, or one ruling, one, one aspect of how to live, or one verse, or one statement of truth, of Torah, or even one letter. This necessitates deference to be accorded to that person. We have found this even by King David, King of Israel. As we mentioned before, a king has a public obligation to not use terms of, of deference because there's a requirement for the nation to have deference towards the king. 
But nonetheless, we find even by King David, he only learned two matters from Ahitophel, who was a great scholar, uh, problematic, but a great scholar. Karu Rabu, he called him my master, Alufo. He called him his his general is is a way maybe used, but it, it means a leader. Umiodo and the one who knew him. Shenamar the Ato Enosh Archelufi Muadi. So this is King David's seemingly excessive deference being shown to Ahitophel for a relatively small acquisition that he achieved from him. And from this we can extend. What about King David, the king of Israel? He only learned two things from him. All the more so for a common person, not talking about the king of Israel. A common person should extend honor to one who has enlightened him, even in a relatively small area. So, the obligation to extend honor and the mission, the Bryce rather, includes the terminology of Rabbo. So you can call, who can you call Rebbe or Rav? Certainly someone who has taught you and enlightened you within Torah. That is legitimate. That's, that's what we see in this Bryce. Even if it's on a relatively minor level. It doesn't have to be Rabbo Muvak to address somebody as Rebbe or, or Rav. The, the honor that should be accorded is, is by virtue of the, the, the being a beneficiary of his enlightenment. So th- that is true, not only for a king, but as the, the Bryce says, all the more so for somebody that is not a king, not in a situation where there's an obligation to honor and fear him. So that, that's, that's important. That is true throughout the generations, irrespective of having true smicha or fake smicha, which has a purpose, as the Rivosh says. There's the, the, the uh, license to call somebody rabbo, and appropriateness is by virtue of be, being the recipient of their enlightenment in Torah. Now, that's not the only case that we find the terminology being used although that is certainly the, the straight path where it's appropriate, we find even the Gemara Bab Metziah, Daf Aleph, that Rebbe called a student of his who was not really at the level of, of scholarship to be called a Rav or Rebbe. Still, he called him Rabbi. Gemara says, Asamache Rebbe. He he conferred upon him this status of Rebbe. Rashi explains, Rebbe, that people uh, would call him Rebbe. This was a tool 
used by Rebbe to encourage the pursuit, that, to, to draw his heart after the, the acquisition of Tyra. There we find it also being legitimately employed. I'll tell you, as a Talmud in Yeshiva, Rabbi Meiselman, the Rosh Yeshiva of Taras Moshe, he called me Rabbi Weissman. And he didn't only say about me, he said about a lot of students, Rabbi so-and-so. It was, it was common. And when I saw this Gemara on the Rashi, I realized what, where he's coming from, which he's always coming from somewhere. Then I realized that, you know, the light kind of uh, brightened. I realized, oh, this is a classic tool that is appropriate. It's a, a method to try and spur that growth, the, the drive to actually grow into that title, to, to be worthy of such a title. The, this, this may find legitimacy elsewhere as well. There's an obligation to accord honor to somebody that really is a Talmud Chacham, or Chacham, even if they're not your Rebbe, they're not your teacher. I'll give you a story to illustrate that. Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, and the Godel Hadaros, from the great, uh, great leaders of, of the generations. So, he was asked to give guidance to Rav Michal Sarotskin, who unfortunately by the, his wedding, was dealing with the complexities of the, the bittersweet uh, circumstance that one of his in-laws had passed away in close proximity to the wedding, how to navigate this somewhat abstruse facet of the law. And that's what Rav Moshe Feinstein was calling uh, Rav Sarotskin, who at that point, again, was just getting married, about. And he said on the phone, this is Mr. Feinstein. Is Rav Sarotskin available? That is how he opened the conversation. So Rav Moshe was, of course, a big onof, as is known, was, was a tremendously humble person. And even though he was being called upon to give halachic guidance, he still called himself Mr. in this context, and accorded the honor to Rav Sarotskin, who is truly a tremendous Tamar Chacham. Baruch Hashem, we, we have him. But he, he called himself Mr. and he called Rav Sarotskin Rav Sarotskin. So that, that is, is found, this idea of respecting and according honor to Tamar Chachamim, even if they're not your Rebbe, it's not your guide, but, but still, to recognize the greatness that is there, that, that's appropriate. And just to get back to the fake smicha, if you will, for a moment. Now, as the Rivash is saying, the, the fake smicha has a purpose. It's not nothing. It is, variously, as he describes in the multiple possibilities, a tool... That, that has a purpose within the framework of trying to avoid people that are not qualified uh, issuing guidance that they shouldn't be giving. That, that's, that's not really... They're, they're, 
not necessarily going to be correct. So the Rosh Hashiva of Ner Yisrael, before he was Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Kulevsky, he was the, the, one of the Rebbeim in Ner Yisrael that gave smicha. He gave a lot of Talmidim smicha. And there was once a complex issue, and the person speaking was in the, in the gathering of Rabbanim, of rabbis, and the, the rabbi said, whoever here didn't get smicha, please leave the room. This is a question that only the, those that are really fluent in the law and, and have this certi certification, a certificate, if you will, should be present to discuss this issue. Okay? So Rav Yaakov Moshe Kolevsky, who was the source of so many smichos, because, of course, he had the Torah, was able to adequately test the, the rabbinical students to see if they know the material or not, fluently, so he got up and left the room. He apparently never got smicha. It was not something that he felt a need to do. So the, the, the fact that he didn't have smicha did not preclude him from giving smicha, because what is it, after all? In general, it's a way of giving some type of certification on a level of competence within the material. Now, classically, in, in modern fake smicha, if you will, the, the not true smicha, it's a very small section of Torah. So it, it's a small section of Yeradeya, so certain laws. You have broader smichas that are given. Today in Israel, uh, if somebody wants to become a, a rabbi, according to the state of Israel, they need to take tests that cover much more material to become a dayan, to become a judge, also a, a huge amount of material. So you have other facets of halacha, of Jewish law, that can be tested and, and certified by an official board, if you will. But the, the ability to give smicha that's not the true smicha does not depend upon having received it oneself. That, that's not necessary, as we see from Yaakov Moshe Kulevsky. The, the, the Christian world seems to have uh, disdain, I think, for the term rabbi, I think it is related in, in Christian sources. One time I was in the supermarket, in, in Winco actually, there was a young man and his mother, and he approached me and he said, are you a rabbi? I said, you have a, an issue in, in Jewish law that you'd like to discuss, I'm, I'd be very happy to help you. He said, no, 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 are you a rabbi? <laughs> I said, can I help you? He got very upset with me, flustered, and he just ran off. So I, I did get the sense that he was trying to entrap me. Uh, not quite sure why, but uh, the the rabbi may be a term of honor or, or dishonor, depending on the context. But uh, in any event, the as we see in the Brisa, to call somebody a, a rabbi, to, to give them that degree of of deference when appropriate is certainly laudable and and we are encouraged to do so. So the, the ex exact prite pratim shalachas, all the, the minute details, uh, now 
which rabbi do you have to stand up for and when you have to stand up for him? You know, these type of questions that, that of course, you have to get into all the details. But in a generic sense, the, the uh, license and appropriateness of, of expressing a appreciation for someone who has a depth of Torah that we see across the board is, is encouraged. B'Shem Rebbe Chaim Soloveitchik so apparently he described various facets of rabbinic leadership, what it means to be a rav, a rabbi. And th- there's a lot of overlap in role of what it means. But it, at least the way I recall, he, he said that there's one facet which we've been focusing on a lot today, which is the fluency within the law and the saturation within the law that one is capable of legitimately giving hurrah, which is guidance, it's the same word as Torah, as, as a legitimate guidance to what is the divine will in this circumstance by extrapolation that organically comes forth from true Torah. That is one facet. So Mura one who gives this type of direction, this leadership, is what it means to be a Rav. There's another facet that is included within rabbinic leadership that Rav Chaim discusses, or, or at least I believe I read it or heard about it from his name, in the name of Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, that the teaching of Torah is a primal role of a rab, a rabbi. So not necessarily just giving guidance or practical rulings, but also the dissemination of Torah, even if it's just even if it's just facets of Torah that are explicit, but the role of rab or rabbi is to teach. So teacher is not a bad translation in that primary role, one of the primary roles of a rabbi. And another facet, the third facet, that Reb Chaim understood to be within the, the purview of the job of a rabbi is to engage in chesed. It's to be the, the nexus of kindness and, and charitability towards his congregants and to the, those that are in need. So, you know, you'll find in many shuls that there's a rabbi fund. You know, there's a pushka that people can donate to try and support those in need through the rabbi's discretion. And the, the role of rabbi very often was to be the support for the needy in whatever capacity he could help. So oftentimes that was financial, oftentimes it's not financial, but the role is of rabbi in, in this pillar of what it means to be a rabbi is through chesed, through acts of kindness. In, in fact, the, the Gemara says, working on the verse in Mishlei, that the, the word, the, the Torah of chesed, the Torah of kindness, is on her lips. But the Gemara asks, is there a Torah not of kindness? And it's so integral to understanding Torah that it's, it is kindness. The, the whole Torah is kindness. So the Gemara says, 
it differentiates between Torah Lishma and Torah Shalol Lishma. Torah that is for its own sake, with the idealistic motivation, versus Torah with ulterior motives. So if there are ulterior, ulterior motives involved in the acquisition of Torah, that doesn't have the appellation Torah's Chesed, the Torah of kindness, but the, the role of a rav, of, of a rabbi, is uh, requires the the dedication towards chesed and a communal level, towards providing w- with kindness w- whatever the needs of his constituents of, of his community, uh, whatever those needs are. That's that is one of the, the primary roles of a rabbi. So of a rav. So. Yeah, different uh, different facets. It certainly is a, a term of of distinction of of uh, according honor. So to to those that we encounter, that we we recognize the qualities, various qualities that qualify them uh, due to their own stature or to our relationship to them. To call them rav, we should do so. And the 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 giving of honor is is something that. Uh, a person should should do freely, uh, not, not uh, in a manner that is um, indiscriminate. It should not be indiscriminate, but it should be done generously. So that that is uh, like we see Ramosha, and he said the Gadol Adar, and and he, he's calling himself Mr. Feinstein. Can I please speak to Rav Sarotskin? Right. That's the, the trying to to accord honor. Certainly, uh, appropriate and, and recommended, following in the in the footsteps of King David, David Amalek, who did so for Achitofel.